Well, a very big welcome to you as we continue uh, the series entitled Promises Made. And I'm really excited about this week's message entitled When Jesus Calls. Before we jump into the Word, I would like to just take a moment in prayer, not only to open up our hearts and our minds and prepare ourselves for receiving from the Lord, but also recently one of our volunteers and hosts in the United Kingdom here on the online platform, Debs, is going through some physical and some, some ailments and some issues in her body. And uh, she's in hospital, and she's unable to be with us on the online platform right now. So I thought it would be really neat if we could just come together as a community and say a prayer, not only for receiving God's Word tonight, but just a prayer for healing over Debs and all that is going on in her body right now. So let's pray together, and then we'll jump into the Word. Father, we thank you so very much that we can come together and around your promises, the promises that you've already made to us, we can stand together in agreement. You've already promised us that you do not want to have us ill. You've promised us that you wish no harm to come to us and that the things that go wrong in our bodies and in our world today are not by your hand. You're not judging us. You're not putting us under any punishment or malediction. And Father, your desire, we declare over Debs right now, is that she is healed and that she has divine health and prosperity. And so, Father God, we pray right now that her authority over her body, over her flesh, is stirred up knowing of this promise of your healing made possible through Jesus Christ. We pray for her. We encourage her. We stand in the gap for her. We know that she has a battle on her hands right now between the healing and the doubt, between getting better and getting worse. But Father God, right now we decide that we have the authority to declare getting well over Debs. And Debs has that same authority on the inside of her. And we pray right now, healing over Debs and her body in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray that you open our hearts and our minds to receiving the word right now. As we open up our hearts and our minds to all of the promises, not just the healing promise, but all of your promises that you have made that we can base our commitments on in 2019. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, to all of you at home and to all of you here that have joined us in the room, thank you so very much for being together and coming together in the second part of this Promises Made series. Now, last week you joined me at my desk as I shared some of the things that I was going to be going through and I was going to be looking at in planning my 2019. Now, how did your planning go? Are you, are you making headway into, into thinking through of the things that you would like to look at, the things that you would like to work on, the things that you would like to get done during 2019? I know that I'm going to be walking out with direction and not depression. I'm going to be walking out without dejection, but I'm going to be walking out with determination. I'm not going to just end up at the end of 2019. I'm going to end up at the end of 2019 with purpose because God has planted on the inside of me a promise, and that promise in the name of Jesus Christ gives me purpose. The promise that God has given us the promises that he has already made to us through Jesus Christ are the basis of the promises that we can make, are the basis of the, com of the commitments that we can make as we go forward, as we do 2019. We can't make a New Year's resolution without being backed by God's promise. But you can say to yourself, but Craig, I can make plenty of resolutions that don't relate to God's promises. Well, we had a look last week that, that you actually can't. 
If it's, a, if it's a promise that's based on your creativity, you want to get more creative, you want to start a new hobby during 2019, well, that's based on the fact that you were made in God's image by a creator. That's where your creativity comes from. He promised you His image, and part of that image is being creative. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, but Craig, my New Year's resolution involves finding a partner. And other than going out and buying different perfumes or underarm deodorant to try and attract your partner, well, you have a desire to be in relationship. Well, that desire to be in relationship comes from the Father. He is a God of relationship. There is no New Year's resolution that you can possibly make that can't be founded on the promises that God has already made to you. We had a look last week, and if you haven't already got that message, you're more than welcome to click on the links and go back and have a look at last week's message. But we had a look and said, well, when, when there's a, a law that we're trying to be obedient to, we often fail. We, we need to be obedient to the principles that God has put on the inside of us. He, we need to be obedient to the promises that God has made to us, not the law that we have created ourselves. And the illustration that we could think of in this instance is, if I had to tell you that in my office was an envelope um, of $3 million, and all that you need to do to have that $3 million is navigate to my desk, to my office, then you'd be able to receive those $3 million. You're not going to get caught up in thinking each step to my office through and then backtracking on the step to think that maybe you could do that step better. And maybe you, you're going to run the first six steps and walk the next seven, and then you're going to hop the next eight on one leg. No, you're not going to go through the laws of how to get to my office. You are going to respond to the promise that's on my desk. But what we do as we plot our lives, as we get our plans together with God, we get so caught up on the how that we miss the why. The promise is the why. The promise is why we can make New Year's resolutions. The promise is why we want to improve. The promise is why we want to get better. But we get so caught up on the lists of things that we haven't done, the list of things we could never achieve, the list of things that we'll never be able to have, that we find ourselves taking three steps forward, analyzing, taking two steps back, and we never quite walk out the promises that God has made to us. It's not God's fault if we don't see promises becoming reality. It is, in fact, our issue, and it's not God's issue when we don't see God's promises becoming real in our lives. We have to look. Are we caught up with laws? Are we caught up with the lists? Or are we so immersed in the promise that the, the why becomes the reason for everything that we do? This journey of understanding God's promises starts in understanding that we will always fail trying to do what's right. Wow, that's pretty big. Well, if we are always trying to do what's right on our own steam and our own strengths and our own desires and our own promises, we're going to fail. The nation of Israel had a whole list of things that they had to do to be right. They, they had a whole list of things that was called the Mosaic Law. It was given through a guy called Moses, and as a result, got this name, the Mosaic Law. Even where you had to go to the restroom was defined by the law, and everything was done under the law. And when they 
constantly tried to fulfill the law, they realized how inadequate their ability to do right without God was. We have a built-in infirmity. We have a built-in inadequacy. We will never be able to achieve righteousness without the promise. Jesus fills up who we are and makes us righteous. He is the perfecter of our faith. Without the promise, we will quickly lose track of the why and get caught up in the how. And when we get caught up in the how, just like the Israelites, we're going to find that we fail at getting things right. Even the list of things that we make, that we so desire, that we, that we really want to get done. I want to quit drinking. I want to quit drugs. I want to do better. I want to have a better job. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Just today, I had a task list of things to do, and one meeting came along and completely scuppered my task list. And even though I had a justifiable reason for not getting to my task list, at the end of the day, I'm going to feel like a failure when I look at my task list. When I look at the how, I'm going to look and say, I didn't do very well. I I didn't get that done, even though I have justifiable reasons. Maybe you like me, you get to January and your list of promises has gone out the window. We have the inability. We are not able on our own to do that which is right. And when we begin to realize that we will never, ever be able to get through our checklist without adding the promise to it, we will, never, we will always camp in the state of failure. We need to organize ourselves towards the promise, not towards our task list. The journey of understanding God's promise starts in understanding that without the promise, we will never be able to do what is right. How many of you have, have lost your Bible reading streak? Freak out. I lost my Bible reading streak on the Version Bible app. Oh, I forgot to pray for a meal. Oh, I skipped church to go to the game. And we seem to think that reading our Bible, praying at every meal, and going to church every single week is what will make us feel like we're moving towards a promise with a purpose. And we get so caught up in feeling bad about ourselves when we don't read our Bible, when we don't pray over every meal, and when we skip church to go to the game. It's not about the task list. It is all about the destination. If you follow the letter of your own law or the letter of somebody else's law, you will fail. But if you seek out his promises and in so doing follow the promise maker, you will walk towards a promise with a purpose and not just try and get a list of things done. When a law becomes the law in your life, you're walking under religion. Can I say that again? When a law becomes the law in your life, you're walking in religion. Somebody comes to you one day and says, you know what, if you're feeling down about your relationship with God, best you read Luke. And so you go and you read Luke. And the book of Luke just comes alive and you're back on top with God again. And then you meet somebody else who's low on their, on their relationship with God. So you tell them, you've got to read the book of Luke. And you meet them in the street a few days later and they say, I haven't read that book. And you condemn them because they haven't read the book of Luke. It might have worked for you, a law. And now you've turned it into the law. You've now created religion. 
But when a promise becomes the promise that you work with, when a promise, Jesus Christ, becomes the promise in your life, when Jesus Christ, the promise from the Father, becomes all of who you are, and you get consumed in this promise, you begin following the promise maker, you begin having a life and a year with a purpose. God's primary promise to us, the promise, the only promise, always revolved around Jesus Christ. In the book of Genesis, the moment Adam and Eve had failed, he turned to them and he promised a seed, Jesus Christ, that would restore the promise that he had made in Eden. The primary promise of God is always Jesus Christ. In fact, that famous scripture in John 3 verse 16 tells us of the primary promise. For this is how much God loved the world, it says, that he gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish but experience everlasting life. Did you have a look at what the promise was? The promise was Jesus. The benefit of following the promise, the benefit of being obedient to the promise, Jesus Christ, would be that you will never perish but have everlasting life. We as humans grab onto the expression that we will never perish but have everlasting life. That's the promise. No, no. That's the benefit of the promise. The promise was that God loves the world and so sends the only begotten Son. The benefit of following the promise is life. The benefit of following or making a law or following or making religion what you live your life by, well, that benefit, sadly, is failure. A sense of incompletion, a sense of not being able to accomplish, a sense of not being able to get it done. You see, that chapter or that verse continues in verse 17 in John 3, and it says this, God did not send His Son into the world to judge and condemn failure. You haven't achieved. You didn't get your list done. No, He came to rescue us from that law. He came to rescue us from that list. He came to rescue us from the feeling that we haven't been able to get the checklist done. We're not good enough. We will never be good enough. He came to rescue us from that and be our Savior. He is the walking, talking, living, real promise of God. Jesus Christ is the promise of God completely in form, completely made manifest to mankind. Jesus came to rescue us from believing that the law is the promise. When the people of Israel lost sight of the promise God made to Abraham, they quickly lost sight of the law. You see, when we lose sight of the promise, we have no purpose. Can I say that again? When we lose sight of the promise, we lose sight of our purpose. Wherever we replace the promise with, our own abilities, our own inabilities, our own pride, our own humility, our own issues, our own concerns, our own list of things to do, whenever we remove the promise to achieve the purpose, we will fail. But when we replace our own things with the promise of Jesus, the promise of the Father embodied in Jesus, 
Well, then we have a promise that we can rely on. And as a result of having a promise that we can rely on, we know we're going to have purpose. Jesus came to rescue us from thinking like the people in the Old Testament. Losing sight of the promise, they quickly broke the commandments. In the New Testament, when, when the people got to see the promise in this new commandment, love one another, love God, we wanted to follow the promise and we wanted to obey the law. Don't put the law before the promise. Doing what's right will only come when you embrace the promise. In the Old Testament, they got it all messed up. They thought that they would only get the blessing when they did the law. And when they finally figured out that, hang on, when I embrace the Abrahamic promise, I want to keep the law, Jesus came to be real and show them exactly what that looks like. Here I am, he said, Jesus. Here I am, complete. This is the love promise of God. Here I am. I am the promise of God. And as a result, because of that love, because of that mercy, because of that grace promise, we want to serve God. We want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. A promise is a destination. I don't know about you, but I don't pick up my phone and go, Hey Siri, I'd like to travel somewhere. Can you give me some possible routes to get there? Siri will probably go, I don't understand. Where would you like to travel to? Do that as an exercise. Try and get Siri to give you directions to a place that you haven't told her where you want to go yet. It's impossible to plot a route to do the how without knowing where you're going. You're never going to be able to get your life in order. You're never going to be able to get through your New Year's resolutions if you don't know what the promise, the destination is. If we know what the destination is, we'll know how to get there. We try and get there before we know what the promise is. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to know what the promise is, if you want to know how to get to the promise, if you want to know how to feel like you are walking your life with divine fulfillment, if you want this kind of purpose and promise in your life, well then I'm going to give you some steps on how to get there. But my purpose is to get you to the promise, not to get you to run through hoops. My purpose, says Jesus, is to get you to the promise, to the blessing, to the understanding, to the discernment, to the wisdom of walking with the Father and being in relationship with the Father. My job is not to get you caught up on how you get there and what route you're going to take. I just want to know that you're journeying towards the promise. Anybody who orientates themselves towards the promise will have purpose. And so Jesus sets aside this process of how to follow the promise, how to journey towards the promise, how to orientate our lives towards the promise. And he comes down and he says, I'm going to call this process of following the promise, I'm going to call that, a person who does that, I'm going to call them a disciple. I'm going to call them, if I am the promise, and I can get somebody in the rhythm of following me, I'm going to get them in the rhythm of following the promise. Well, that person who follows me 
is going to be called a disciple. We've called it Christian. And you know that Jesus never ever used the word Christian. He never ever called Christians. He called us to be disciples. In fact, if you had to ask somebody today, what does it mean to be Christian? Depending on who you ask, you're going to get different um, answers. You're going to get some people will say, oh, a Christian is someone who's been transformed by Christ. Transformed from living under the law to living under the promise. Well, you might even get somebody else giving an alternative answer to what is a Christian. You might even get them saying, no, they're they out of touch and they quite frankly, they're idiots. And that's because they're judging us against the law. Maybe you're going to ask somebody what's a Christian and they're going to say they're loving, they're forgiving, they're generous, they're benevolent. And others will say they're judgmental, they're narrow-minded and legalistic. Maybe some people will say about Christians that they're known for their love, their compassion and their faithfulness. But on the flip side, we're known for what we're against and that could be each other. There's this issue with calling somebody a Christian. Well, that's because Christians, the name Christian, didn't come from Jesus. He didn't ask us to be Christian. He asked us to be promise seekers. He asked us to be obedient to the promise, the promises of God. How do I become obedient to the promises of God? Well, the promise of God was that He loves you. And I'm obedient to that promise by accepting that He loves me. The Lord says that by my stripes you are healed. If I'm being obedient to that promise, I start walking out healing, not depression, not dejection, not ailments. I don't talk up my issues. I talk up the promises of God through Jesus. You see, I can be obedient to the $3 million on my desk, or I can get obedient to the how to get there. I want to be obedient to the promise because the excitement, the anticipation, the, the buildup of, of walking towards a promise is so much more exciting and so much more purposeful than worrying about what, how many steps I have to take, how many hoops I have to jump through, what I have to get right before I can be loved by God. No, I can be obedient to the promise right away. Jesus never, ever asked us to be these kind of weird Christians. No, he asked us to be sold out promise seekers and disciples. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9, he says this, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a, name, a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my Christian. That's not what Jesus said. Follow me and be my disciple. He used the word mathetus, which, which is a learner, a pupil, a disciple, a follower. It wasn't about, for Jesus, the structure of the belief methodology. It wasn't about, for Jesus, whether you believed that women can't wear slacks in church. It wasn't about, for Jesus, whether or not you were pre- or post-tribulation Christian. It was about whether or not you were willing to become sold out to the promise of God that appeared through Jesus Christ. He wasn't involved with thinking the law through. He wanted your passion. 
He wanted your commitment. He wanted everything to stir up in your heart to go, that's the way I'm going. I'm going towards the promise of God, not the laws and regulations of man. Jesus asked us to live how he lived, love how he loved, and do what he did. He didn't ask us to necessarily believe the laws that he believed. He just asked us to live, love, and do like he did. You are a disciple. You are a promise seeker. You are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am Christ's disciple. I belong to him. I belong to every promise he's ever made. I belong to every ideal he has for me. I am sold out to the principles of the promise maker because I know that he has a promise in store for me and it's a promise that he will keep. Yes, that means I had to be crucified with Jesus. I had to go through hardships like Jesus goes through. Don't we all? But that doesn't for one moment fault the promise made to me. All it does is it shows that the promise is a better way. A promise is the way. You are a promise seeker. And as a follower of the promises, you walk as someone who is assured of that promise, someone who is focused on that promise, and someone knows who knows that even though it might take eternity for that promise to be seen, you are willing to walk out eternity towards that promise. How? You said that Jesus made a, a system for us. Man, how do we love our systems and lists of things to do? For a moment, I want to give you two specific things that Christ followers, disciples, promise seekers will do. And then I want to get out the box with you. Because when it comes to your personal promise seeking, that's up to you to get creative with. No one can define for you how you achieve the promise, how you walk out the promise, how you look towards the promise as a disciple man. When Jesus calls you towards the promise, this is how you should respond. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 33 onwards. Luke chapter 10, verse 33 onwards. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to the inn, and took care of him there. You know what story I'm ending on here. This is the ending of the Good Samaritan story. Verse 35. The next day he, looked, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise, talking to the man who asked who he had to love. As a promise seeker, as a disciple, you find a need and you meet it. Because you are caught up in the promises of Jesus, you don't look at your own needs first. You look at who has a need and by the power of the promise, you fulfill the need. As a disciple, number one, find a need, meet the need. Don't turn towards the church and go, oh, I hope our church gets winds of this need so that they can help step in. No, you become the promise 
in Jesus Christ to that need. As a promise seeker, you are a promise dispenser. You are a disciple. You go and do the same as the promise maker does. You find the need and you meet the need. That is what we do. Oh, but Craig, it didn't tell us in Scripture that if I ever find a Samaritan or a, or a man at least lying at the side of the road as a Samaritan, what I need to do, I need to find an inn. I need to have a donkey. I need to pay, pay the bill. I need to come back later and check. Where is that checklist? If you could please give me the checklist. If we had to have a checklist for every need we will ever meet, we will never get to meeting the need because we are so busy reading the checklists. As a promise seeker, you are sold out to abandoning yourself blindly to finding a need and meeting a need. Let me tell you something, my family and I, we are sold out to this concept. We will stop short only of sin to find a need and meet a need. I love being in part of a body here at Victory Life Church that is sold out to finding a need and meeting a need. You don't have to ask us twice to go in the name of Jesus. You don't have to ask us twice to go in the name of the promise. We carry the promise with us into situations where there is no promise. That's our job. That's what we do as promise seekers and disciples, or disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't always casting out demons and raising people from the dead. He was washing feet. He was feeding people. He was being with lonely children. When you see a need, meet the need. When you do that, you are able to show off the promise of Jesus Christ. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to anyone in need, because he is my disciple, you will not lose your promise. Have a look at that. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 42, it says this, If you find a need and meet the need, you will find your promise. If we are going to be sold out to being promise seekers around the promises made by God, well then Scripture tells us that we need to see that promise become fulfillment. We need to find a need and meet the need. Number two, have a look at what it says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places and reported kingdom news and healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised feet, and their hurt lives. Number two, find a hurt, heal the hurt. There was a story of a woman who was caught in adultery, and according to the law, she was to be stoned. According to the law, she was to die. According to Jesus, he had a promise for her. Peter denied Jesus three times. According to basic kind of human interaction, somebody who denies you three times should just leave your space, right? You've hurt me three times. Get out of my way. No, Jesus, that was the law. Jesus gave Peter a promise. Go and feed my sheep. He gave him a purpose through a promise. Your trajectory changes when you start the journey towards the promise, your trajectory of healing has changed when you start the journey towards the promise. And so when you look at it, if your trajectory changes when you start journeying towards the promise, what changed in you? Your healing, your inner ability to get over difficulty, 
your determination, your grit, your faithfulness, everything changed in you when you started journeying towards the promise. So when you show other people the trajectory towards the promise, you are in fact showing them the same way to that same kind of healing. Your trajectory changes when you start the journey towards the promise and you have the ability to help someone else see that promise and change their trajectory. As a disciple, you find a need and you meet the need. As a disciple, you find the hurt and you heal the hurt by the power of the promise. You might say, but Craig, I'm not a healer. I don't know how to heal. Well, how many times have you found peace when somebody just listens to you? You find healing when you have a shoulder to cry on, someone to pray for you. When somebody, when, you don't, when you're feeling very rejected, when somebody accepts you, when you just have somebody to do life together, it's all around the promise. It's all around Jesus Christ. But these are practical things you can do without over-spiritualizing healing. Spending time with somebody that you don't particularly like is a promise-seeking activity. It says to us, love your enemies. And so when we have a look at the first one and the second one, it means that we need to step out of our law-based comfort zone and get ready to be radical promise seekers. Point number three is if you are a promise seeker, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will do a whole bunch of things that I can't put down on paper. That's how broad it gets. That's how creative you can be with your promise seeking and bringing that promise to others. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that my sheep listen, my disciples listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's all we have from Jesus on being a disciple. He wants us to do as he did, say, speak as he speaks, love as he loved. He wants us to radically live the promise. Follow him for the ride of your life. And you will get involved with things that you never thought you'd ever be involved with. And they will bring you such incredible gratification that you will know that you are now walking with purpose. The disciples left everything. The poor widow gave everything. Zacchaeus gave back four times. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, Zacchaeus, you must tithe four times. No, he wanted to give back four times over. Because he was living the promise, he knew what to do. He didn't need to know what to do to find out the promise. He lived the promise, and then Jesus' voice spoke to him. And because he was a promise seeker and a disciple of Jesus, he knew what to do. Oh, Craig, I'm just waiting on the Lord to tell me what to do. The promise of the Lord has been made. What you have to do is start living the promises of the Lord, and then you will find what you have to do. Don't just think that you have to spend an hour a day in prayer. I've served my 20 hours this week. I can't do anything more for Jesus. Oh, you know, I lead a life group. Oh, you know, I, I spend three services of the month in the kids' church. If you've made serving your promise, you've lost track of the promise. You've made a law the law. No, you'd want to get involved in the life group to see people's lives changed. You'd want to see the fact that you're mowing a neighbor's yard because you're walking out the promise and they might just get, catch the promise from you. The promise is contagious. The more I can be exposed 
to the promise, the more I want to expose others to the promise. And it can spread. The promise becomes reality. The promise becomes the way of life for a society. Living for Jesus won't make sense to other people. Being a promise seeker might even get you branded as strange and weird and as crazy. You're not living for other people. You're living for the promise. You're living for Jesus Christ. You're living to be His disciple. Find a need. Meet a need. Find a hurt. Heal it. Do something with the promise today. Don't just sit on your hands. Don't just say, I go to church. I'm good. I'm okay. I go to the right church. I read the right Bible translation. I have the right bumper sticker on my car. I have the right Facebook timeline image. No, do something with the promise today. We'll stop short only of sin to seek out those who have lost their passion for the promise. There was a wealthy man who visited a, a, a weak, impoverished city. And there he found this young missionary girl cleaning the sores of the sick, bathing the dirty and the elderly men and the elderly women of the city were cared for her by her. They'd been lying in the gutters. They were diseased and filthy. He said to the nurse, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And she looked at him and said, neither would I, but I'd do it for Jesus. Today, choose to do life and the promises of life for Jesus. Choose to be radically sold out without understanding to the promises of Jesus. Why is it that whenever we hear a message from the Word, we need to have a list of things that we now need to go away and do based on that? Uh, the number of people who come on social media and say, oh, can I please have the notes from Brother Dwayne's message because I want the three action items that I need, the five action items that I need out of that. You know what? Take the message from the, from the pulpit. Take the message from online and go to the Holy Spirit. Go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to do something with that promise. What is it that I must do? And figure it out with Jesus. That's half the excitement. That's half the joy of walking with Jesus and just doing something with His promise. Don't let anybody else try and define for you what it looks like to be a disciple. Go and work that out with the promise maker and become a promise seeker. Do it for Jesus. You are His disciple, and He is your promise. As we come to the table of the Lord, He promised us so much by Him just being present with us. He promised us so much. And as we come to celebrate this promise, we celebrate it by taking a moment. And this is, if this is the first time you've ever taken communion, well, we just celebrate it by taking a moment to, to have something that represents that Jesus was physically here. It wasn't just some dream of God to tell the world that He loved us. No, He physically sent His body, His, His Jesus Christ's Son, in the form of body and blood to make sure that we got it, that we got His promise that He loved us. And as Jesus took the form of every promise that God had ever made, Jesus became a symbol. The walking man became a walking symbol of every promise of the Father. Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so when we take communion, we're simply saying that Jesus was here. His promise is real, and it will never, ever falter. His body was broken, 
because he promised that he would die for all of the things of all of the, he promised to die for all of the unbroken promises in our lives. He promised to be the healer for the hurt. He promised to find a need and meet the need. He promised to do whatever it took that paper couldn't write down to make sure that we were walking with purpose. As you receive communion today, know that the promise that he loves you is real and is true. And he is the healer. He is the meter of all needs. And that he loves you and wants you to have a life of passion. So as you grab a piece of bread and some water, a cup of coffee and some gum, it doesn't matter. Know that Jesus' body was broken, was real, and it came to show God's love promise for you. His promise was like a covenant. It would never falter. In the scripture, blood was almost sh always shed to make sure that people understand that this promise that we're shedding blood over was serious. Well, Jesus shed divine blood to show that both in the spiritual and the physical, this promise was serious and he would never break it. The body, the promise that you've just consumed was sealed and will never, ever be broken. You can never give it back, and he'll never take it back. This is his blood that was shed so that you could know his promise was true. Father, we thank you that as we come to the end of this week's message and communion, that we can say that we are sold-out promise seekers. Thank you for making the promises to us that enable us to walk out 2019 with a purpose. We love you, and we honor you, and we pray blessings on every single household, every single family, every single person impacted by today's message. We love you, and we honor you, and we celebrate you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, now is a really good time for you to jump into the chat room and just say hi to one of our guest hosts or or anybody that you might have met up with in the chat room, go ahead and say a prayer for somebody that you might need to know needs a bit of the promise of Jesus in their lives right now. We think of those who are ill. We think of those who are, who are upset or breaking, going through broken relationships. We think of all of those. Why don't you just go and say a prayer? Maybe it's blindly. You don't know who you're praying for. But then you, you're operating in number three. You're just doing something for Jesus. It doesn't matter what the paper says. Just get it done. Do something today. You have an opportunity right now to go and be a promise seeker in the chat room and just say hi to somebody, encourage somebody, be an ear to listen to somebody, be a shoulder to cry on for somebody. Hey, maybe you'll even meet somebody that can become a friend of yours that walks through multiple issues with the promise of Jesus in your life from today forward. Maybe today you make a promise seeking friend that will hold you accountable to the promises of Jesus. If you just get involved in the chat room right now, greet somebody, or alternatively, jump over to our Facebook page. The Victory Life Church online Facebook group is there for you to meet people who are all promise seekers and have committed to linking arms with the promise maker, Jesus Christ. Thank you so very much for joining us today. We love you, we honor you, and we thank you for being a part of Victory Life Church online. Join us again really soon this weekend or at the midweek message next week.